Hello and welcome to another episode in the Creating Customer Success podcast series. My name is Dan and I'm your host. And my name is Alex and I'm your co-host. In this series, we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. We hope you enjoy listening. Paul, so firstly, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really excited to have you as a guest today. Now, um, I guess for our listeners, it would be great if you could just begin by giving a quick intro into who you are, uh, your background in CS, and uh, what you're doing now. Okay, sure. And uh, Dan, Alex, uh, thanks for the invitation to participate. I've been looking forward to this. Um, so um, what I do today, um, I'm a, a speaker, author, and consultant. I help technology companies make uh, customer outcomes their central focus. Um, how did I end up doing this? How do I come to be to be talking to you guys about this stuff? Um, prior to founding Outcome Leaders, which is the company I own, um, I was the head of Asia Pacific for um, a software company. So not surprisingly, my background is software. Um, I had about 200 people across nine countries supporting about 800 enterprise customers. Um, so we sold ERP software, uh, primarily for manufacturing companies. In the last five years that I was in that role, two significant things happened. The first is that we changed from being an on-premise vendor to a cloud vendor um, with all the, the fun that goes with <laughs> making that transition. And the second was that I made the decision in our region that we were not doing enough to create great business results, great outcomes for our customers. And I decided I wanted to tackle that. So I hired some smart people and um, between us, we put together and ran an outcome program across the whole of the Asia Pacific region for over five years. At the end of that five years, um, a couple of things occurred to me. The first was that I've, I thought, you know, with this much experience in running outcome programs, um, you know, we had taken skin off our knees and bumped our shins and done all the things we shouldn't have done and learnt what worked and what didn't, then perhaps I'd be able to help other companies that were trying to adopt an outcome program. And the second was I found I really cared about this. And I have a strong view. I don't think it's okay at all that technology vendors sell software or products to customers and those customers don't get a great result. And so I felt like I wanted to tackle that. So I had been working on a book almost as a hobby, um, my first book, which was about outcomes, but about the internal use of outcomes. So I quit my job. Um, I set up Outcome Leaders. I published that first book and then got to work on the second one, which is the one I was probably more um, passionate about, um, about customer outcomes. And it took me a year and a half to research and write that book. I spoke to lots and lots of different technology vendors um, and also drew, of course, on my own five years experience and published um, that the outcome generation. Uh, and since then, um, I've been building a practice around helping companies make customer outcomes their central focus. So that's me. That's how I come to be talking to you guys. Fantastic. Amazing, yeah. Um, it's really interesting to hear your background, especially with the sort of, I guess, the movement behind, uh, behind outcomes as a business focus, especially in the world of um, customer success. Um, and it's definitely something we've spoken about in previous episodes, um, and we'll definitely dive into that today. But it'd be good to hear your thoughts on what you think customer success looks like now and why it is that you think it needs to shift towards this mm. outcome-based um, approach. Okay, okay. So if I think about what it looks like today, I think of CS as having three levels. Um, and a previous guest of yours, Matt Moskowski, he, uh, he talks about this as well. The, the first level is day-to-day -day problem resolution. So not fixing bugs in the software, that's support, but day-to-day -day issues that come up. Level two is product adoption. And the majority of, um, of CS organizations around the world are seen as having product adoption as their primary purpose. The third is business outcomes. This is the next level up. And um, what I'm seeing is as organizations realize, CS organizations realize that, CS, that product adoption is okay. Maybe not perfect, you know, maybe we can still reduce churn, but the adoption is actually okay. What do we do next? So what's our next transition? And I think the need to make this next transition has been highlighted by the, the current circumstances, the pandemic. And I, you know, I see reports of lots and lots of CS people now out looking for work. And in some cases, whole CS departments that have been dropped. 
And if we think about why that is, why, you know, then in the minds of uh, CEOs, C-level people, uh, there's still uncertainty about exactly what CS does. And in most organizations, it's not a revenue creation department. It may do renewals, but it's not creating new revenue. And when the CEO looks at the forecast and it's dropped by 20% and he or she knows that headcount has going to have to be reduced, they say, who could we let go on a temporary basis? It's only short term. We're going to get through this. And when we come out the other side, we'll want to go back to normal, but we have to reduce costs for a little while. We're not quite sure what CS does exactly, and they're not creating revenue. Maybe we could just get by for a little while without a full team, or in some cases, without a team. And so I think CS in some respects has been a little bit of a soft target. Um, and we want to change that. You know, we want to see CS as being seen as, um, in, for a CEO, well, we can't afford to lose them. You know, let's get rid of, you know, low performing salespeople before we make any change to CS. And so what I want to talk with you guys about today is what would that look like? How do we, what could we put in place, a structure, an approach and so on? that might change how CS is perceived, um, that in the, in the medium term certainly will involve creating revenue, but also just being far more critical to the operations of a, of a tech vendor. Yeah, and just in terms of the, the challenges for CS right now, especially during the pandemic, and you say being naturally maybe more of an easier target, um, do you think that is... I guess even more so for companies where the CS department is still in, maybe in its infancy. So as you say, the ones that are maybe, I guess, like a, a, a team of firefighters essentially, and they're in that much more reactive mode. Is that the, uh, the, the CS uh, departments that are mainly struggling from what you're seeing? I think so, Alex. Well, I mean, what, what's your view about that? Have you seen, are you seeing evidence of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think from, from um, people that we've spoken to in the community and stuff that we're seeing, um, being shared, I would definitely say that seems to be the case because mm. to your point, those types of teams and departments, they're not really generating new revenue. They're essentially just, I guess, assisting and supporting existing clients. And they're mm. not really, and we'll definitely get into this as you, as you mentioned, but they're not really going beyond that, put this fire out. But what is the reason that you're doing that? What is the challenge that that business is facing in terms of mm. the, the customers that they're working with? Yeah. I like that, you know, the concept of a firefighter that, I mean, basically that's how custom success started. It was to put the fire of churn out. And, and you know, what happens when CS does a great job and the fires have mostly gone out? There's a, mm -hmm. there's a few burning embers still around in the business, but, you know, the fires are mostly out. The CEO is, is saying, well, what do we need a fire department for? Why do we need all those people? The fires are out. Surely we're okay now. And clearly what will happen is the fires will restart if we don't have a, you know, but not seen that way so yeah it's a, I, I quite like that firefighter term i think um something else that i'm probably just picking up on actually from a lot of the episodes that we've done and even just articles that i've read up on about cs is just probably the lack of the lack of definition around what the role is within different companies and where it does differ so vastly it can be very difficult within organizations sometimes to as you say perhaps maybe just pinpoint the value of that team so there was an mm. interesting Stat. I think Matt Mazowski shared this uh, this morning actually on LinkedIn and it was from a study conducted recently on customer success and 60% of customer success managers have some type of quota, whether that's a target for like cross-sell or upsell or um, with regards to just like revenue retention. But then also, so 40% essentially do not, which shows the differences in that, in that kind of job role itself because they've got obviously very different probably goals, objectives, like day-to-day -day responsibilities as a result of 40% not carrying a quota and then 60% mm. carrying some form of quota. Yeah, it does show the diversity of view about what CS's role is, um, that's for sure. You know, it's, and, and it's not surprising. It's still, you know, it's still relatively young. Um, you know, it's, it's probably got five years now of being around seriously. Um, mm. But in the you know, the life of business, that's not all that long. So a lot of companies still trying to work it out. Definitely. So um, I guess kind of kind of around that, with regards to 
what's happening in, in the current climate with regards to, you know, reduced headcount across various CS teams. In some instances, the whole team um, perhaps maybe being taken out of the organization. What would you say um, is, is something that CS teams should be doing at the moment to kind of reshift that, that um, perception and then also the value that they play within organizations? Mm, okay. So in my view, two things. Um, they, they, we talked before, they must have revenue creation and creation, not renewal, but new revenue that only they own in the end. Initially, there may be shared, um, it may be shared, but eventually it's their unique target that nobody else owns, first thing. Second thing is create a new model of engagement. Um, and there are a few problems that most technology vendors have. And I think there, it is possible that that, that CS could solve those problems and in doing so reposition itself in the minds of a CEO and the, and the other senior executives. So do you want me to talk a little about those, those sort of problems that I'm seeing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Oh, okay. So the, the first problem that is just a nightmare for most technology vendors is each department works separately and independently. They, so marketing does its thing and it creates some leads, hopefully if they've done a good job, and there's this like fence between them and and uh, and sales. So they toss they toss these leads over the fence, and sales, you know, often aren't that interested, you know, because they've had leads in the past that weren't very good from marketing, and so they kind of ignore them. They might pick some up and they go with it, but their thing is they're they're about making deals happen, and all they all they want to do is work on deals. And when they get a deal done, as far as they're concerned, job done, celebrate, you know, and there's a fence then between them and onboarding and, and services. And so they toss the deals over the fence to, to onboarding or services, depending on how complex the software is. And those guys have then got to pick it up and, and try and figure out what to do with it and, and how to go forward with it. And then at the end of um, getting the software live, which is what most onboarding and, and services organizations focus on, let's just get the software live. That's all we have to worry about. It gets tossed over the fence to CS or, um, or to support, depending on um, on what happens with the customer. And then you guys pick it up and, and try and go with it and try and make sense of it. So it's very disjointed. And the customer doesn't see that they're dealing with five or six departments. What They want one company. But that's not how we behave as vendors. And we're, we're often atrocious, atrocious at this. The second is that, by and large, technology vendors are very transactional, very ad hoc in the way that they engage with customers. So marketing will go out there and run a marketing campaign to create leads now. There's no sense of long-term nurturing of the customers or of the, it's what can we do to create a lead right now? Sales go out and work on a deal for now. And if it's not going to be a deal this month, this quarter, or worst case this year, probably don't want to work on it. Now we'll worry about that later. Um, you know, onboarding and services. Um, it's about this project. Let's get this project live, this module or this bit of software. Let's get that working. And then that's it. And, and support, it's, oh, we got a call from the customer. Let's solve that call. Let, don't worry about anything else. Get that, so, that, uh, um, that solved as quickly as we can. And that, that approach, it doesn't create loyalty with customers. Um, it, it's lumpy in terms of business. It's hard to forecast from a sales perspective when you are operating that way. You don't have much of a, a runway ahead of you. And it's not strategic at all. You know, there it's just totally tactical. So there's no guiding structure. There's no longer term ambition that you're working towards with the customer. It's all, you know, got a, got any deal for me today? And, and that's how everybody works. So that's the second thing. Very transactional in their nature and very, very hard to break that. The third is that we are poor as an industry at engaging with business executives. Every single sales leader on the planet tells their salespeople, go and engage with the executive level. And every single salesperson goes, yeah, 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 I'll go and do that for sure. I'll go and do it. And they don't. And some of it is because they're frightened. You know, what, do I, what am I going to talk about? I'm trained on the product. And I know executives don't want to talk about product. They want to talk about their business and the business results. And I, I don't feel that I can do that. So... Um, we don't do it. We end up working mostly with IT or with middle and junior level people in the, in the, on the line of business, and we don't get that executive engagement going. 
So those three problems, very um, separate uh, dysfunctional department structures, silos, um, ad hoc engagement, transactional engagement, and lack of engagement with the executive level. And I think there's a structure and this thing that we, the outcome-based customer success, one of the things it does is provides a vehicle for being able to address those three problems. And I think if, if CS could solve those three problems and in doing so create revenue, they could, they could become heroes and heroines in their own organization. And ultimately that's what I would just love to see. I want CS to become the heroes and the heroines of, of our story. Um, and so that's what outcome-based customer success is designed to do. Perfect. Brilliant. I was going to say, as you as you was kind of going through there with the, with the problems, there's there's definitely things that I recognise myself having probably done even now or like previously in particular CS roles. Um, probably the the biggest one that stands out to me is maybe just knowing how to engage as an at an executive level because you become. So confident mm. sometimes with regards to the product itself and being able to talk through all of the features, but then being able to shift that and have that more consultative approach where mm. you know, I suppose the, the way to approach it is very different. It's rather not just dispersing absolutely everything you know about your products and services, making sure that you're able to ask those right questions to uncover those needs in order to then come up with something that's a little bit more tailored for the client, uh, a little bit more consultative. And it's probably, mm. it's very difficult sometimes to, to develop those skills. I think what we've been hearing on some previous episodes is that companies are looking with people who have more of a consultative background and they're moving into CS, especially with those more complex solutions. But mm. so something I was just, um, just thinking about there, actually, have you got any advice perhaps maybe for CSMs that don't have that consultative background with regards to how they can develop those right skills to engage at, at an executive level? Yeah, um, well, it's interesting. I, you know, I think one of the things that what, the, what you've just talked about suggests that what we'll see evolve in CS is more specialization. And so you will find that you, and, and we did this when we implemented our outcome program, um, we had people that we called, for example, success consultants. And they were the people that understood everything that was required to achieve a business outcome. And they would go and engage with the executives and advise them about how to actually run the improvements in the business. But you don't need everybody in your CS organization to be um, a success consultant. You do need some people who are good at running a repeating cycle of engagement where you are setting up executive business reviews, for example, and running those with the, with the customer. So we'll see, I think, more specialization emerge and the stronger the role that CS plays in managing an entire life cycle. And that's one of the things I think CS needs to do is um, that they will require um, that greater specialization within the, within the team. Perfect. And I know we'll obviously get into explaining um, how we can shift towards this this type of outcomes based approach, but um, mm. just before we do, it would be good to to get a, I guess, an explanation on what that is. What is an outcomes based approach, and are there perhaps maybe different levels? Are there maybe levels that some CSMs may currently have that they aren't even aware of? I know we spoke mm. previously before we started recording about things like product outcomes versus a success outcome. So it would it would be mm. great if you could um, give us a quick overview of, of what that is and what it looks like. Okay, so the, the underlying idea of outcome-based customer success is that we want a repeating cycle of engagement with the customer at the executive level where we talk about identifying areas for improvement in the business that will lead to a business initiative, a business project. In that conversation, we don't ever talk about product. So we've made an appointment with an executive to talk about how we can help improve the, the business results that he or she are, are measured on. We go and have the conversation around identifying potential business initiatives. We then go into a joint analysis with the customer. So it's not us preparing a sales proposal. It is us identifying two or three areas where the business could improve and jointly analysing with key members of their management team and our success consultants, our CSMs, 
we analyze that part of the business and we jointly come back with recommendations to the customer on how they can drive improvements in that part of the business and whether there is a business case or not. So a few things change in that. One is the conversations are all about possible business initiatives. Our products are needed, but as you'll see there, we'll talk about this, they're just a very small part. Not a small part, they're a really critical part, but they're one part. Um, we, are, we are going to do joint evaluation and it's gonna be sponsored by an executive. So if we've got an executive sponsor, we're far more likely to have the business initiative finally approved. And we are going to put together a business case that shows why that business initiative makes sense. We are not going to do an ROI on our product. We are going to do a business case for a business initiative that is includes our product, but has other things that need to be done as well. So in, it, in its heart, that's basically what we're, what we're looking to do. What we want is CS managing that cycle. So CS can be the department that is setting up the executive business reviews in our high, in our high touch customers, managing that joint engagement, joint analysis and development of the, of the report with the business case. Seeing that that goes through their internal approval processes, ensuring that the handover to um, services are onboarding, that there's clarity around the business outcome that needs to be delivered from this business initiative. And we have, because we have been part of developing it, we know how to coach the, the onboarding and services people properly. And then finally, when we're dealing with support, looking for proactive ways to identify areas for improvement. So particularly if we're a SaaS vendor, support often has much greater insight into what's going on in the customer, but we don't use them. You know, so get, get support acting a bit more proactively about identifying potential areas for improvement that could create catalysts that we in CS can use to go back and have a conversation with an executive about another business initiative. So that's the basic approach, repeating cycle of engagement at the executive level, focused on business initiatives that we jointly evaluate and jointly write a report for showing whether or not there is a business case, and then shepherd that through the overall cycle the repeating part of it is we go back and start again a year later or six months later, however, however we do it. But the customer comes to expect, yeah, we, oh, yeah, right, it's time for our review again. Yeah, okay. I mean, we're expecting uh, Dan and Alex to turn up. It would be great. You know, they did a good job for us last year. Looking forward to it again this year. So that's the, 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 the to be state, you know, the end state that we're trying to get to. But, um, and if we do that, if we can get that in place, then we're the ones tying the different departments together because we're shepherding through the whole process. Um, we are moving from a, an ad hoc, you know, got any deals for me today, to a, re a repeating cycle of driving improvements in the business. And we're dealing at the executive level because we're talking about business outcomes. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think the reason it's so great is you know, when we initially started explaining what the current problems are and how siloed all those departments are, by simply shifting towards that, everybody, each single department knows what that focus is for that one particular client. And it's so easy to then, you know, you're not just chucking the lead over the fence like you um, you explained before. Everyone has that clear um, sort of goal um, or, or challenge that they're focusing on. And I think just from a personal experience, that that is when you have those instances, it's so much easier to engage with a client when you have that focus um you know if you compare that to what we're saying in terms of being more firefighting and you get looped into a client query and you have no prior context and you're just sort of you know go put this fire out that's much more difficult to do and much more difficult to do that at an exec level as you're saying mm. compared to you know you wouldn't naturally be getting looped into things you would be as you say you're at the forefront of leading that um, that solution to the challenge so i think it's really it's really interesting approach, um, but it would be good to to sort of outline what is what is it that needs to be in place so mm. that a, an organisation can start shifting towards that mindset and that type of focus. Okay, so um, a great question, um, and there is a bit that you need to get in place to be able to do this. Um, so two things: structure and process. So. Um, let's talk a little bit about what 
what, what a structure looks like in outcome-based customer success. So we are going to deal with executives. We must talk business and outcomes. There's no point going and talking products. They'll just send us off to talk to somebody else. So whatever structure we put in place has to naturally take us to conversations at all levels in the customer, but particularly at the executive level about business outcomes. So the first thing that we need is a very clear definition of the outcome that we serve as a business. And this one's important. This is an important idea. We don't go and ask the customer what outcomes they want to achieve. This idea that we're going to talk about a thing called a success outcome um, has a bit of Steve Jobs and Henry Ford in it. That you know, you don't ask the customer what they want. You know, Henry Ford famously said, if I ask customers what they'd want, they'd say a faster horse. I think most people have probably heard that quote. But it, it illustrates the idea. So we're going to work out ourselves the outcome that we can create, the, the to-be state that we can help create for customers. And we're going to go and talk to them about what we can do for them, give them insight into an outcome that, that, that they maybe haven't thought about. So do you want me to just dive in a little bit into this idea of the different types of outcomes and, and talk about that structure a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, please. Okay. So whenever somebody buys something, there is an outcome, um, whether it's implicit or explicit. So you buy a hamburger, you want to be full. You buy a movie ticket, you want to be entertained. You buy a sports car, probably you want to be noticed. So, and it doesn't matter uh, who's spending the money, there is an outcome, a, a to-be state that people are actually trying to achieve. So in the tech space, we deal with two different types of outcomes. Um, the, the first is a product outcome. So a product outcome is the direct benefit of using our products or services. The second is a success outcome. And that's a bigger outcome that the customer is actually trying to achieve. So our product is a subset of the things that is required for the biggest success outcome to be achieved, but it's not everything. So to give you a, a non-tech, a couple of non-tech examples, if you went to a hardware store and you, and you bought a drill bit, then the hardware store manager would know, well, you don't want to own a drill bit. What you want to do is drill a hole in the wall. Paid for the drill bit, used the drill bit, it worked properly, I now have a hole in the wall. That's a product outcome. But who wants a hole in the wall, right? What we want is that picture that we've just bought hanging on the, on the wall at home looking beautiful. And so when we can step back and admire our handiwork and the, and the pictures hanging on the wall, then we've had a success outcome. Similarly, if we went to a restaurant, the restaurant owner might think their job is to provide great food and service. And of course, they're right. You know, if the food and service is no good, then we're not going to go back. But we also go to a, a restaurant for a great night out with family and friends. So we pay for the food and service. If it's good, we've had a product outcome. If we have a great night out, that's our success outcome. So why, why is the distinction important? So let's go back to our, our hole in the wall. We get the picture up, we step back, we're ready to you know, puff on our, on our fingernails and, and shine our shirt, look how, how clever we are, we've got that up, and it looks terrible, it's in the wrong place. Then the next time there's a job to be done around the house, we may not go to the hardware store and buy some equipment. We might hire a handyman and get them to come in and do it. Similarly, if we go to that restaurant and the food's fine and the service is quite okay, but we're on a table and, and of eight people and a couple of them have an argument and it spoils the night. Or there's someone noisy on the table next to us and it spoils the night. So even though the food and service was okay, the, the night wasn't a success. We didn't have a great night out with family and friends. And so that restaurant's now got a bad connotation for us. So in both those cases, the product outcome was delivered. The, hole did its, the, the drill did its job and drilled a hole. But the success outcome wasn't achieved the hardware vendor lost future revenue from us. In the restaurant, the restaurant, the food was good, product outcome achieved. We didn't have a great night out, even though that had nothing to do with the restaurant, the restaurant is going to lose future revenue. So the central proposition of the book, The Outcome Generation, is that that is exactly what happens in tech. That we go along and think our job is to get our product in there and get it working, but the customer has a bigger outcome that they're actually trying to achieve that they're going to get measured on, the thing that's going to get them promoted or a pat on the back or a bonus. And we just leave the rest of it up to them. So the, the concept is this. 
the amount a customer spends next time is driven by how much success they have this time. And success is achievement of a success outcome, not a product outcome. So that's the first idea. So this thing, this thing, this success outcome that we have identified becomes our guiding light. This, this describes the central thing that we do for, um, for our customers. So if we're a technology vendor, for example, or if we're a marketing automation vendor, for example, then it might be the value of pipeline created. In my view, that's actually not enough. The CEO of a company authorizes uh, purchase of a, a marketing automation tool for one reason, to increase sales revenue. And so for me, the success outcome that a really good marketing automation vendor contributes to or helps enable is in increased sales. So marketing created sales is a to be state that they can help create. And if they do that, they're golden. As, you know, they, they are fantastic. So it, that becomes the guiding light, everything that we're, that we're, uh, that we're wanting to do. So these outcomes exist in a hierarchy. So think about an organization chart. Um, you've got the, the, v, uh, the, the CEO at the top, VP level below that, below that you've got directors and middle management, below that more junior people. At every level in that organization chart, people have outcomes that they're required to achieve. So we can basically create what we call an outcome hierarchy that links to that organization chart. So the implication of that is that higher level outcomes are achieved by lower level outcomes being also achieved. So we can apply that logic to how we now go and execute with our customers. So we've got our big, hairy, audacious goal, the success outcome, um, and that's achieved when a group of smaller outcomes is achieved. So we call that next level down a contributing outcome. So I wanna draw a mental picture. So a circle, which represents our success outcome, big circle, underneath that connected by lines that look like an organization chart is somewhere between five and 10 smaller circles, each of, each is, um, of which is a contributing outcome. If all of the five or six contributing outcomes are achieved, the success outcome is achieved. That becomes the basic structure that we use in, in, our, um, in our outcome approach, in our outcome program. We then wanna break that down a little bit more. So what does it take to achieve an outcome, whether it's a success outcome or a contributing outcome? And we, we have this idea that an outcome is a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. So you think about a jigsaw puzzle, in order to see the final picture, you've got to have all the pieces. In order to uh, achieve a business outcome, you've got to get all the pieces in place. But what do those pieces look like? What are they made up of? Well, for any business activity to take place and for an outcome, a new to be state or end state to be achieved, five things are required to be in place. You've got to have some processes. You've got to have some systems that support that. You've got to have people with the right skills. Most organizations have some partners. And then there are some supporting elements like policies, reporting, measurement, and so on. So if we take the, the, the initials and create an acronym, we get PS, PS, PS. Process, system, people skills, partners, supporting elements. PS, PS, PS. So our jigsaw puzzle can now be, the pieces can be categorized into one of those five elements. So our jigsaw puzzle now has got five different colors on it, a different color pieces for each of the, those different elements. And what we do is just simply make a list. So what are the major processes required for, uh, to achieve a contributing outcome? What systems would be required to make that work? The people who are working on that contributing outcome in the customer, what are the skills they need, what um, partners might be involved, if any, and then what supporting elements like policies and so on. And by and large, get about 15 or 20 in your list of elements that are required in order for a contributing outcome 
to be achieved. So now we're gonna go back to our picture of a big circle and five or six smaller circles. We're gonna change each of those smaller circles to a small jigsaw puzzle, each of which has got pieces in it that have got one of the five elements, process systems, people, skills, partners, and supporting elements, the got all five. That picture, one circle, five or six small jigsaw puzzles, and we have a list of the 15 or 20 bits that make up each of those jigsaw puzzles, that is our entire structure. On one sheet of paper, one circle, five or six jigsaw puzzles, everything that we do with the outcomes can be brought back to that one simple picture. So all of the way that we engage with customers, all of the way that we identify ways of driving improvements, what success consultants do, how we put our business cases together, how we come up with the improvements, everything just comes back to that one really, really simple picture. That's our structure. That's that's all we need. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think, you know, just as you were explaining each of those stages, there's a few thoughts that I had on one of which is, um, you know, when we've been doing these podcasts and just speaking to other CSMs and, and CS leaders, one of the phrases that comes up a lot is the term trusted advisor. And that's mm. ultimately what a CSM should be. And, you know, we sometimes ask people, what does that mean? How do you get to that state? Like, mm. how, how can you be a trusted advisor? I think you've pretty much just summarized it there by if you can understand those, you know, the acronym, if you can mm. understand the elements that make up each of those and mm. build that jigsaw, then from a, a customer's perspective, if they see that you understand that, they're going to view you as that trusted advisor because they will see you know, this this person really understands our business and what we're trying to achieve and they will more likely give you even more detail. And I guess that then leads into one of the other things that we often talk about in CS, which is account planning or success planning. Mm. And you know what the main thing I took away from that is you're, you're ultimately saying this jigsaw or this hierarchy structure of these contributing outcomes and the overall success outcome, that is your success plan. You're just sort of going about it by shifting the focus and being more at an exec level and understanding those, the top level um, challenges. It, it gives you the structure for creating a success plan. So the, the, way we, the way you then go and operate this is you will sit down with the customer, with an executive, and we'll talk about the contributing outcomes. And, and if we've done our job well, we've got some data that'll actually inform the executive. So what we're trying to do is catalyze the, the executive saying, we need to act. And so we, we need to shift them from inertia, um, a state of rest to state of action. Um, so we talk about the different contributing outcomes and we ask them, you know, where, where are you seeing opportunities for improvement? And then because we've done some analysis of their business, we've got some data, we can point out some areas that, that, would, be, that would need improvement. What we do when we're doing the analysis, when we're, when we're preparing the business case, is we'll go through each of the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle and we'll figure out where are the biggest opportunities for improvement. So our success plan for this year might be in contributing outcome number one, and we might pick five or six of those elements and say, we need to work on those five or six elements. So our business initiative this year is fix those five or six elements of contributing outcome number one. That's our success plan for this year with the customer, if that's all they'll agree to. If they agree to more, great. But next year we go back and we just go through the same cycle. Next year, However, the executive says, look, our big priority right now is contributing outcome number three. And I want you, and I'm going to appoint some managers to work with you. I want you guys to go and analyze contributing outcome number three. That's what we have to fix this year. And we go through that same analysis. Look at the 15 or 20 elements. Where are the biggest opportunities for improvement? How do we improve those? That's our success plan. So the success plan is driven by that structure. And it falls out of it very, very easily. Because you just identify where the biggest opportunities for improvement are. Where, where does the executive get the biggest bang for their buck this year? And next year, it'll be somewhere else. And next year, it'll be somewhere else. The nature of a, of a success outcome is it's never achieved. You know, businesses always want to improve. So this idea that the success outcome, will ne we, we can always do better, is the foundation for a continuous improvement engagement model. But that's the thing that is taking us back every year and letting us have that repeating conversation with the executive. And Alex, to your point, 
the output of that is a success plan that is tailored for that year, what they want to work on that year. And you build your business case around that and that's what gets approved. And as a byproduct, they need some more software from you. Terrific. But it's a byproduct. In none of this has our primary focus been sell product, sell product, sell product. And that's, by the way, how CS creates revenue without ever having to be product salespeople. We don't want CS ever having to be product salespeople. We don't want them to become pseudo account managers. We want CS to do something new and different and engage in a, in a better way than any account manager has engaged before and create revenue through that approach. Fantastic. I think um, what I love most about that, just, just kind of listening there, was that you're, you're almost just putting yourself into your customer's shoes and you're thinking about what's important to them as opposed to what's important to us. But so many companies do have that internal focus. And, and as we said, like probably more from a product view in terms of measurement, understanding is product usage up, usage up this month versus this time last year, which doesn't really think of that from, from the customer's perspective. So I do see mm. two challenges. The first is probably how do you shift from that internal focus of measurement to being able to measure outcomes um, mm. to kind of judge whether a CSM is being successful in their mm. role. And then the second one is say, for example, you're not already at an exec level and you're perhaps maybe your main point of contact is a rural advocate. They are probably mid like middle level in terms of the organization. How do you mm. get them to take you to an exec level to have these conversations about uh, like the, the big outcome yeah, so that that um, that roadblock, you know, the the gatekeeper, is uh, is and IT often play that role, you know, they they want to control everything. And no, 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 you deal through me. I'll, I'll organise it for you. So the the bottom line is, you want to make them into a hero and heroine, and a way that you can do that. So let's talk about IT managers, CIOs. They're by and large under more and more pressure to create business results, measurable business results, and you see more and more CIOs who don't even have a technical background. They're business people. But, they're, but even IT managers are being asked by their CEO or by the board, you know, what value are you bringing? What, you know, what do you do? And it's hard for many of them to make the transition to a, a business approach, a business outcome or a business results approach. So what we can do with this approach is we can show them that if they sponsor us to go and visit that executive, we will have a business conversation with the IT guy there and he or she is going to look good because they've brought someone in and we guarantee we will not talk product with that executive. If they ask us a question, sure, we'll answer it. But our whole agenda is how do we drive improvement in the business for you executive? And the IT people, when they get used to the idea, they go, okay, this does enhance my standing like you know the this executive can see that i am driving a process that is leading towards improvements in the business so that's the first technique the second technique is you ask questions that that middle level person can't answer so okay so can you tell me your um your strategic plan for this area of the business and what do you think is going to happen by you know, so uh, some frame some questions that it's difficult for them to understand uh, sorry to answer and and they need they need to go higher and and you ask to go higher because they can't answer the questions but the better way to do it is to create heroes and heroines you know find a way to make them look good and they want to take you as opposed to blocking you from take uh, from going there brilliant and um i guess sorry apologies as well the questions were probably separate topics so um fantastic like love love that answer with regards to uh, creating those like heroes and heroines and probably again just from experience you you do see those heroes within organizations and generally they do if they go elsewhere they kind of take your product service um, mm. with them which which is another benefit of that and then probably just also on the measurement side so thinking yes. about how we can shift that focus to measure what's important to the customers do you have any recommendations of how to measure success outcomes internally because it can be difficult to translate that sometimes into a way of measurement. So it'd be good to maybe just hear your thoughts around that. Okay. You know, um, 
it, it might help if I talk a little bit about process mm-hmm. and then we can talk a little bit about measurement because it ties into that, that process. That so makes, it, yeah, are you happy? If, okay. So we, we talked about two things being needed to create this new to be state where customer success is leading the overall customer life cycle, engaging it ex- at business um, executive level, driving a joint engagement of business, of business initiatives. The first element was structure, and we've talked about our picture with a circle representing the success outcome and five or six small jigsaw puzzles representing each of the contributing outcomes. Now let's talk about how do we apply that? How do we actually make that work and drive this repeating cycle of engagement? So um, we, we're going to have three elements of this, um, of this outcome-based life cycle. The first element is the customer journey. Um, The customer journey is not the customer's journey with us as a vendor. And and it's a little bit of a bugbear of mine. I hear all the time people talking about mapping the customer journey and, and it's about the customer's engagement with us as a vendor. The customer's journey is bigger than that. And it usually starts before they engage with us. And we need to know the, the entire cycle, the entire journey that they go through. So it's typically about 10 to 12 steps, and we want to map out each of the steps across the whole life cycle. The second is the outcome cycle. So the outcome cycle says, we want to engage at every step of the customer's journey. What's the outcome that we want to achieve when we engage? So for example, the first step in a customer journey might be executive considers results. So the proposition is no buying cycle ever starts until an executive says some aspect of our business needs to improve. So step one is the executive is deciding whether or not results need to be better. The outcome that we want to achieve is executive decides things need to be better. So executive decides to act is the outcome that we want to achieve. And for each step of the customer journey, we can map an outcome that we want to achieve from that engagement with the customer at that step. The third level is the engagement cycle. And very simply, this says, how do we achieve the outcome at each step? What would we do to achieve the outcome? Here's the interesting thing. We segment our customers and it's artificial. The customers don't not interested in what segment are in. We do that because we, it helps us apply resources and drive some different approaches. The outcome cycle, sorry, the the customer journey is the same for every segment. There might be some differences in the way that um, they get approval for projects and so on, but fundamentally the steps the customer goes through is the same in every segment. The outcome that we want to achieve is the same in every segment. So in every segment, the first step is customer, uh, an executive considers results and the outcome we want to achieve is executive decides to act. What changes is at the engagement cycle level? Now we want a different way of engaging with each segment. So we've got consistency with the first two, customer journey and outcome cycle, and a different engagement cycle for each segment. And so with our high touch customers, our first, um, our first step in the journey, considers results, decides to act. In a high-touch customer, we're probably going to be driving that through executive business reviews, face-to-face, sitting down and talking with them. In our tech-touch customers, we can't afford to do that, but we still want to achieve that outcome. So how do we do it? Or maybe we send a report to the executive that gives them some data, or we send a story that is about what another company did in that area of the business, not how they used our product but how they improved in that part of the business. And we'll, we'll find other ways to catalyze the, 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 um, the actions of the, the executive. So we end up with an engagement cycle for each of, the, uh, each of our segments. So Dan, go back to that question about outcome, uh, about measurement. Um, there's a few things that we can measure. The first is we can measure our activity against achieving the outcome. So how well, how well are we doing in getting executives to decide to act? In what percentage of customers or a measure something like that? 
And so for each of those outcomes, it's possible to create a metric that will tell us how well we are executing at that step of the customer journey. So that becomes one of the things that CS can be measured on. How well is that, is that particular step going? And that, by the way, gives us a way of identifying areas we need to improve. So if step seven, we, we're really not doing very well at step seven, then, okay, what, what do we got to do to fix that? There are a couple of other things that, that you can measure. Success outcome scores. Um, the first is an achievement score. So is there some way of capturing a measure or one or two measures that says a contributing outcome has been achieved? So for example, in our marketing automation where the objective is increased sales, one of the elements might be the value of the, or the size of the pipeline. And we can measure that. And so, yeah, that one's a measurable one. Um, there may be a, an outcome about the uh, response to content marketing. So, you know, what's the, and how do we measure the response to content marketing by impressions or, you know, um, comments or likes or whatever, however we want to choose to do that. Um, so that's an achievement score. And that's one of the ways you can drive conversations with the executives. You can say, wow, you know, your, um, your content engagement score is really down. You know, I think we need to have a look at that and figure out what's going on with your content. That doesn't seem to be, you know, hitting the mark. Um, the, the second one then is the, um, the, the, the success likelihood score. Um, this is a thing that SAP in Asia Pacific do really well. So they've identified um, nine different uh, types of um, measure that would indicate the success or failure of a, um, of a project. Um, and they run that score before they start. And then they try and fix any high risk areas before they start. And that increases the chances of success of getting a business initiative created. And there's a third, but for what we're, what we're talking about right now, it probably doesn't help all that much. It's a, it's a slightly different focus. So in terms of measures, we measure each step of the outcome cycle. We want something that measures the overall achievement and we want something that, that predicts likelihood of success. And that links, by the way, to our ideal customer thing. You know, we can use that likely success likelihood um, structure as a way of defining ideal customer and ideal project. Mm, Makes sense? It's really interesting. Yeah, I was just thinking, um, I guess that the measurement bit is maybe the missing piece for a lot of CS departments because they maybe get to the stage where they've identified you know, everything that we just said in terms of what the potential success outcome is and maybe even mm. gone as far as planning out those contributing outcomes as well. But then possibly the area where they fall down is then measuring that and making sure that they are actually yeah. achieving them as an ongoing basis. And I guess it comes back to, you know, the trap that a lot of teams fall into from a CS perspective is maybe focusing more on product outcomes and they'll track things like usage and adoption yep. and stuff like that. And maybe, you know, that is potentially a contributing factor, but you know, as we've just said, the, the product is almost irrelevant in that case because mm. if they're not achieving that outcome, then it, it doesn't really, it doesn't help anything. We're at risk. Yeah. So, and I, and Alex, you raise a really good point that, you know, one of the things that we also want to measure is the dollars that we're creating for the customer. And back at the last, my last software company, um, whenever we ran a project, so we're doing ERP, big, messy, you know, projects over extended periods of time. Um, we would not let a project start unless there were clearly defined business measures mm -hmm. um, defined and agreed by the customer before we started. The thing that you measure, and this is a this is a, a a step. Most people try to do a product ROI. What was the return on investment of you investing in my product? In my view, wrong thing to measure. What we want to measure is the success outcome. Or if we're doing a smaller project, you know, one of our annual contributing outcome projects, what was the business impact of that contributing outcome? So. We got the pipeline up. What did that mean in dollars to the company? And actually measure that. And that, two things. Number one, it's easier to measure because it, it, it'll tie typically to 
clearer outcomes that the the, the customer executive has. Um, and secondly, it's likely to be to be a bigger number. All we have to do is show that we're critical to achieving that outcome. We don't have to show what our contribution to it was. As long as we're critical, then the, the hero and heroine in the customer gets credit for the big outcome, the success outcome or the contributing outcome improvement. That's what we want to measure. I think, um, I mean, this is just like, even as, as we kind of go through and, and we discuss this topic, it's just so interesting how even probably myself, I'm just doing this the complete opposite way around at the moment with regards to like, the conversations throughout the, the entire year is always around product. Like how are you getting on with the product? Do you need additional training on certain elements? Um, where are you having issues with certain parts? And it's not really always just thinking about. So, so again, just probably people know this from listening to the podcast, but kind of Alex and myself work uh, within like a SaaS market research company. And we don't really probably have that conversation enough whereby we're understanding what well, the project you're working on what is the outcome that you're expecting to achieve with that and understanding the part that we play within it, but then being able to measure that to say, well, that piece of research that you used, was that successful in helping you to achieve the outcome? Pretty much, we, we probably don't have that conversation enough. Um, so uh, yeah, this is, this is super value, um, even just for me as, as we're kind of going through this. Mm. Dan, just one comment. Um, I'm not advocating not focusing on product adoption. Mm. Right. If they don't, if the customer doesn't get our product working, then they are not going to achieve the contributing outcome or the success outcome. So, you know, if the if the drill bit doesn't work, we're never getting the picture hanging. If the food's lousy, we're not having a good night out. Doesn't matter what, what else is going on. So, we still need to be good at doing those things. We still need to make sure that the product gets adopted. Mm. But what we're saying is that's not enough. Yeah. You, need, you can you can now go one step further. And with a subset of your customers, because not all your customers are going to buy into this right away. It'll take a while to, to move your customers over to this model, but you'll get some very enthusiastic ones early and then progressively you can move the other ones across. But over time, you are taking your customer base across to this style of engagement and you're moving CS out of being product adoption only to, yeah, we take care of that stuff, but we're doing more. Mm, I think I think you're right. It's probably that evolution of the role, isn't it? To take it that one step further, but then also mm. the segmentation of your your customers is going to be critical for that to make sure that you are you are being more consultative with the customers that require it, because there will be certain segments perhaps that just don't require that level of conversation with you or your your product offering. Um, yep. So yeah, that makes makes complete yeah. sense. I agree. And, yeah. and, and by the way, that's exactly what happens. Some customers say, you know what? Yeah, yeah, interesting idea, this outcome thing you're talking about. But you know what? When we want you, we'll call you. And when we do, by the way, we want a big discount. Um, but yeah, you know, we're, we're okay with transactional engagement. And yeah. some customers are, you know, so that's okay. You, just, you still have to support those customers. Cool. So um, I guess one of the, the bigger questions around all of this that a lot of our listeners are probably thinking is how do we actually implement this? How do we get our organization and our CS department to think about this mindset? And how do we actually start to implement that in the day-to-day activities that they're performing? Yeah, yeah, it is a good question. And um, you don't do what, the, you don't make the mistake that I made with this. So, you know, years ago when I first kicked this program off, I was so excited by this brilliant program that I and my team had come up with that I wanted everybody to know about it. And uh, and Big Bang, I can tell you, is probably not the best way to go. So this is an evolution and not a revolution. Um, we, we, can't, we can't do this overnight. Um, and what we'll find, and it's interesting, um, you made a comment earlier on about um, that people may be doing bits of it already. Almost every vendor that I went to when I did the research for the book was already doing some outcome stuff. And so what we said was, the purpose of outcome-based customer success is over a period of time is to move from people doing a bit of outcome stuff, a bit of product adoption, a bit of solution selling, a bit of feature function stuff, and get the entire life cycle with every job that's customer facing, marketing, sales, services, onboarding, customer success, all driving around outcomes. 
as the central thing, as the central message, but that takes time. So the way that we actually, that we help with this, um, so we run a planning process to help companies think about the structure so that create that one page picture, one circle, five or six um, jigsaw puzzles, and to create the life cycle um, that applies for their business and run a pilot. So find some customers in one segment and run a pilot of this and then see what works. Learn what is fantastic. The customers loved it. This was this really um, resonated. Mm, no, we need to modify in this area over here. When you've got some experience, take it to the next level. When you've got some more experience, take it to the next level. And over time, convert more and more of your customers. And by the way, more and more of your staff um, to the to the approach. And that is going to take a little time. So this is not a program for somebody, a CS leader who says, I'd really like to do a two-day training course and revolutionize everything we're doing in CS. It isn't going to work that way. It's a, it's a, a, a bunch of work that needs to be done and fair warning on that. You know, don't take it on lightly. Um, but the rewards can be huge. You can really, really set yourself apart as a CS leader and make a big, big impact on your own, um, your own employer's business, um, as well as, I think, doing amazing things for your career. You know, think about as more and more companies adopt outcomes, those who've got a proven track record of doing it are going to be in demand. So. Perfect. Yeah, sounds really good. Um, I think we've we've definitely covered a fair amount, you know, as, as you just sort of <laughs> said there, you know, shifting towards an outcomes-based approach. There's a, a lot of work, as you said. So um, it would be great if you could just do a quick, I guess, summary of, the different sections that we've covered and what are the key elements that, that people need to remember and yeah. consider at each stage. Good idea, Alex, that we have covered a bit. So <laughs> we're talking about, um, we're, we're talking about moving CS from being an organization that executives think their primary job is churn reduction and product adoption um, to an organization that's seen as leading a repeating cycle of engagement that covers the entire life cycle. Dealing at the executive level, focused on business initiatives that will drive improvements in the outcomes for the customer and jointly evaluating and preparing business cases to prove that an individual business case makes sense. So that's the basic approach that we're trying to get to. The structure that we use is our one page diagram, one circle for the success outcome. That's our guiding light, the big thing that we're trying to do for our customers, made up of five or six or seven smaller jigsaw puzzles each of which is broken down into processes, systems, people skills, partners, and supporting elements. 15 or 20 elements for each of them, broken into those different categories. PS, PS, PS. The, um, we make a decision to on how many of those we're going to provide in each of the contributing outcomes, and we create what are called outcome bundles. So this is the mix of products, services, partner offerings, guides, tools, methodologies, calculators, everything that we can put together um, to help the customer with each of the elements in the jigsaw puzzle. And then we've got a process and the process is um, uh, driven by the customer journey, but the complete customer journey, not just their journey with us. Um, we define the outcome cycle, which is what we want to achieve at each stage that we engage with the customer, which should be every step of their journey. And then for each of our segments we create the engagement cycle which defines how we'll achieve the outcome and that in you know in its in its raw state then in its fundamental state is outcome-based customer success that's the structure approach and what we're trying to get to for cs amazing i guess um you know now is potentially the time more than ever to, to try and implement something like this right the, this is the time to to try and innovate and, and change the way that people are doing things we're in we're in a challenging time so I guess it makes sense to, to try and implement something like this at this moment. You know, it's interesting. There are some companies that are just battening down the hatches and, you know, trying to get through this. There are others that are saying, this is an opportunity to do, ex mm -hmm. Alex, exactly what you said, to say, well, you know, let's come out of this the other side better than we went in, you know, with something new and different and a, and a, and a better approach. So, you know, from my perspective, they're the companies I'd love to, to find. You know, the, the CS leaders who, can, who look at this and say, this is an opportunity. Yeah, it's a threat. It's a problem, but it's an opportunity. And now's the time to tackle this and come out the other side better than we went in.
I guess kind of with that as well, if somebody's listening right now and they, they want to find out more about this outcome approach and perhaps maybe even get in touch with yourself, like where where can people find out more information and, and how to contact you? Um, easiest thing to do is uh, find the website, outcomeleaders.com. Um, that's got my contact details and so on in there. You will also find me on LinkedIn. Um, if you can't find under Paul Henderson, because it's a pretty common name, search for the outcomes guy. Um, that's me. And, uh, and hopefully you'll find and connect with me on, on LinkedIn as well. Um, so either the website and you'll find places there to um, phone numbers and email addresses and contact um, opportunities there. Um, it's got details of the book. It's got details of the programs and how we help and so on all on the website. As I said, or connect with me on LinkedIn. I publish regularly on LinkedIn. I'm trying to add stuff of value um, around outcomes. It's always about outcomes with me. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for, for such an insightful episode. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you again for the invitation, guys. And, and keep up the good work with these great podcasts you're doing. Amazing. Thanks, Paul. Thank you so much. All right, Alex. Dan, thank you very much.